earlier this year, the New York Times ran an article that was entitled, Yale's Most Popular Class Ever, Happiness. And it was officially listed as Psych 157, Psychology and the Good Life. And uh, it was a course taught by Professor Lori Santos, and it was all about teaching students how to have a happier, more satisfying life. And so she addressed issues that people think will bring them life, they don't. And she also addressed issues that, that can bring lasting life satisfaction. And so it was a class about life, it was a class about having the good life. It was a class that 1,200 undergraduate students enrolled for, making it the largest class in Yale's 360 year history. This interest in the good life, a satisfying life, I believe is not just the interest of some college students at Yale, right? It's all of our interest. How else do you explain all the books that are being written about how to have a better life, right? And uh, we've read some of these, of course, yeah, you know? Uh, maybe if you would declutter your life, declutter your house, that leads to a better life. Practice mindfulness. Uh, Learn how to uh, rest, change your diet, travel more. There's all sorts of uh, people offering their wisdom about how to have a better life, how to have a more satisfying life. And there's a lot of helpful stuff in that. But I would suggest that we would be wise to listen to the one who actually created life to understand how to have the more satisfying life. We should listen to the one who said he came into this world that we might have life and might have it abundantly. This Advent season, we have been looking at things that Jesus actually said about himself, things that Jesus said were the reasons that he came into this world. And today we're going to look at John 10.10, where Jesus said, I came that they might have life and might have it abundantly. I want us to think about this today, Uh, think about what this life is, and uh, particularly I want to look at three simple questions. What is this life? What's the source of this life, and how do we actually experience this abundant life? And so, let's look at that first question. What is this life that Jesus came to bring? Well, if you read through the Gospel of John, and a lot of the passages that we're going to look at today are out of John, we find the word life used a lot. 36 times he uses the, what's the Greek word zoe, 36 times he uses the word life. And of the 36 times, 17 times it's modified by the word eternal. For instance, just a little later in, in chapter 10, Jesus says, my sheep, they hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. If you go to the next chapter, Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Now, the second passage here, Jesus doesn't use the term eternal life. And so it's another expression where he's talking about life, but he clearly he's talking about eternal life. And so the kind of life that Jesus came to bring is a life that if we have it, we never perish. It's a kind of life that if we have it, though we die physically, we never truly die. And so Jesus came to bring eternal life. I remember as a little kid wanting that kind of life. I understood that there was a heaven and there was a hell, and I wanted this never perishing, never dying 
kind of life. I wanted to know that when I died, I would be in heaven forever with God. See, my mind at that age, that was all that eternal life was. It was just something in the future. It was just something to hope for in the future. And yet the reality is eternal life is not just a future hope. It is something that we can experience in the here and now. And, and Jesus describes this life this way, that it's a present possession as well as a future hope. And so you look at John 5, 24, Jesus said this, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes, and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. To him who believes, he has eternal life. It's a present tense verb. It's a, it's a present experience. It's something that, that if you believe, you presently have eternal life. And he goes on to say that the one who has eternal life has passed out of death into life. And uh, sorry for the grammar here, but uh, that's a pres- uh, past perfect, a, um, it's in the perfect tense, which means that there was a, something that was completed in the past that brings about a state of being in the present. And the state of being in the present is eternal life. The believer has eternal life based on what has happened in the past. And so for the believer, eternal life is something that we can experience in the here and now as well as for all eternity. This is a life that Jesus came to bring. Now, to bring a little more clarity to what this life is exactly, I want to move a little further in John. In John 17, 3, Jesus says this. He says, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And so the, the life that Jesus came to bring us is really a relationship with God. It's, it's, it's eternal relationship with the God of the universe. It's the ability to have an unhindered face-to-face relationship with God that brings about a whole new kind of life, a whole new quality of life. And so Jesus defines eternal life as a relationship with God. And this relationship with God is a, a, a relationship that can be full of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. It's a, it's a life of walking in the joy of obedience and in the freedom in which we are no longer slaves to sin. This is the kind of life that Jesus came into this world to give to you and to me. I have come that they may have life and may have it abundantly. Then IV says, to the full, love to the full, joy to the full, self-control to the full. Are you experiencing that life through Christ? The second question is, what is the source of this life? And you may say, well, if, if Jesus came into this world to, to bring this life, then, then do we really need to look at this question? Because obviously he is the source of this life, right? And, and it's true. Jesus is the source of this life. But I still think it's helpful to flesh this out a little bit. If we look at John 10 again, and, and particularly starting in verse 7, it says this. So Jesus said to them again, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, 
but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and will find pasture. So starting in verse 1 of chapter 10, Jesus has been talking about sheep and shepherds and sheep folds. In, in first century Palestine, a sheepfold was a, an enclosure that the sheep would be brought into for the night. And they were typically walls that were not very high, made out of stones or brick and mud. And uh, they would be brought into them in the night. And, and they had one opening. And Jesus said, I'm that opening. I'm that one opening. I am that door. And in saying that, Jesus is saying that he not only just is he the source of life, but he alone is the source of life. Jesus alone is the source of life. And I think that's what's important for us to hear. Jesus is the source. Jesus alone is the source of this kind of life. In verse 9, he, he gets clear about, about the implications. He says that if anyone enters through me, he will be saved, and he'll go in and out, and he will find pasture. And so in the metaphor, when the, when the sheep enter into the sheepfold for the night, they are saved. They're protected from anything that might harm them outside if they're left outside for the night. So Jesus is saying, if, if we will enter through him, the door, the only door, we are saved. We are saved eternally. We are saved from judgment. We are saved from all that our sin and our rebellion against God deserves. We are saved from the power of sin that we might live a whole new kind of life. Secondly, in the metaphor, Jesus says that the sheep will go in and out, and they will find pasture, which is a picture of provision. The shepherd leads the sheep out into the fields where their needs are met. For those who enter through the door of Jesus, this points to entering into a relationship with the Heavenly Father who meets our needs. There's provision. There's plenty. Jesus is the door to all of this salvation, provision. Others may claim to open up a way to God, but Jesus alone is the source of life. And, you know, I think we get this when, when we think about kind of the eternal, like the forever kind of life. We, we believe Jesus is the source of that. There's no way I could have that. It, it's all about Jesus. But I think sometimes when we think about our experience of eternal life in the here and now, we maybe say, yeah, it's about Jesus, but maybe we think it's Jesus plus something. We might think that, that I would really be experiencing the abundant life if, if I had a certain relationship, if I was in a dating relationship, if I was married or if my marriage was better, then I would be experiencing abundant life. Or sometimes we look for abundant life from, from our money and our, our possessions. We, we think that if I could have a, a better income or acquire a certain possession, a house, a car, or that new gadget, that new piece of technology on Christmas, then I would really be experiencing abundant life. Sometimes we might look for abundant life from certain pleasures or experiences, a certain vacation or retiring with a certain kind of comfort level. We think if I could do that, then I would be experiencing, really experiencing life. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with any of those things but none of those things brings abundant life. Abundant life isn't found in Jesus plus something. Jesus alone is the source of the abundant life. And so are you looking to Jesus for life? 
Are you looking to Jesus alone for this whole different quality of life? It's not Jesus plus something. Jesus came to bring life, a kind of life that's eternal, but that can be experienced in the here and now, a whole different quality of life that we can experience through Christ. And he alone is the source of that life, which leads us to the final question. How do we experience it? How do we experience this kind of life? When thinking about it, I think it's important to remember how Jesus actually defines this life, right? He says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And so really, how do we experience this life? Uh, We could ask, how do we experience God? How do we know God? How do we enter into a relationship with God? Because that's the source of this life. At the very end of John's gospel, he, he makes a statement about why he wrote his gospel. And he said this in John 20, verse 31. He said, but these have been written, the things that he's written about Jesus, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. John said he wrote what he wrote, that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, and that in believing, we would have life in his name. And over and over again, John says, we experience this life through believing in Jesus. It's as simple as that. We experience this life through believing in Jesus. And to believe in Jesus means that we believe that he entered into this world, God became man, took on human flesh, lived a perfect life, went to the cross to die and pay the penalty for our sin and rose again victorious uh, over, our, over sin. We experience this life by believing that Jesus did that for us. Not just intellectual assent to those facts, but we put our full weight of trust that Jesus did that for me. I want to go back to John 10.10 because Jesus addresses a threat to experiencing this kind of life. In John 10.10, the first part of that verse, he talks about a thief, a thief that comes to kill and to steal and destroy. In the past, as, as I looked at this verse, I typically just assumed this is a, a statement about a contrast between the devil and, and Jesus. Um, and it is true of the devil. He, he is a thief who does come to steal and to kill and destroy. It is an accurate description of the, the devil. But, but I think in the context, Jesus is talking about teachers who came before him that proclaim another way of salvation. If you look at verse 8 again, Jesus says, all who came before me are thieves and robbers. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. Now, when he says all, he, he's not, he, it's kind of a figure of speech. He's not saying every each and last person that came before me were thieves and robbers because there were prophets that rightly pointed to Christ. Yet John the Baptist, who has been proclaiming Christ in a faithful way. So there were those. But he is saying There have been false messiahs, there's been corrupt priests, there have been corrupt prophets. And even in the immediate context, he's talking about the Jewish religious leaders who who are listening to him at the very moment as he's talking about sheep and shepherds and sheepfolds. They are thieves and robbers who care nothing for the sheep. See, Jesus is talking about what he's talking about in John 10 after the events that happened in John 9. And in John 9, he's healed a man that was born blind from birth. And this man comes to faith in Jesus, 
and he begins to experience life. The problem about this for the religious leaders is that Jesus healed this man on the Sabbath. And so instead of rejoicing with this man that he'd found life in Jesus, that he'd been healed, it becomes this controversy. The Pharisees get into a controversy with this man about his healing, and it escalates to the point where they actually kick him out of the synagogue. They didn't care about him. They didn't care about the sheep. They were only concerned about upholding their religious rules, their man-made rules. And so in the context, Jesus is saying the Pharisees who were listening to him were thieves and robbers. And their approach to God was works. Their approach was legalism. Their approach was keeping the rules. And if you didn't, you were rejected. And the reality is there's still plenty of thieves and robbers out there that proclaim a different message, right? That, that the way to God, the way to really know God is to keep these rules, to, to earn things from God. And I think we just need to sort of acknowledge that that's reality because th- there's something in us sometimes that wants to earn it. There's something in us that, that wants to be good enough, that wants to say we did something to earn our relationship with God. But Jesus is clear Life is not found by following man-made rules. Life is found by faith. But if we go the way of man-made rules, it kills, it stills, it destroys. The only way we experience this life is through Jesus, by believing in him. There's no other way. Some of you here today, you know about Jesus. You can tell the facts about Jesus but you've never believed in Jesus. My hope for you this Christmas season is that Jesus would move from just a set of facts that you know about, that you embrace in your heart, that you believe, that you, that you call out and confess in faith, Jesus, I trust that you came into this world to bring me life. And, 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 and essentially you, you bow the knee to him, trusting that he died on the cross for you, that he rose again on the third day, to give you new life, that you trust him, you embrace that. You put your whole weight of trust in that. That is my hope for you this Christmas season. Will you choose to believe Jesus, the one who will bring you life? For all of us, my hope is that that we would experience this eternal life that Jesus came to bring, not just the future hope, but the whole new quality of life that Jesus came to bring us in the here and now. The reality is to the extent, remember that life is a relationship with God, so to the extent that you trust God, to the extent that you open up your life to God, to the extent that you pursue Him and let Him have His way in you, to that extent you experience this whole different quality of life. It's something that you can experience in an ever-deepening way as you walk with God and as you trust Him. That's my hope for all of us this Christmas season, that we would lean into that kind of life. Jesus came to bring life. Jesus came to bring abundant life for all of us, not just in theory, but in real and practical ways, and he alone is the source of this life. As I close, I want to share something. I've shared this a couple different times over the years in the past, but I think it illustrates really well what this abundant life is all about. Many of you know that my sister Kim died when she was 38 years old. Uh, In fact, it was uh, four, it'll be 19 years uh, later this week that she was diagnosed with an inoperable brain tumor. So back in 
1999. And uh, 10 months later, she died, leaving behind um, five children. Becca, who is our youngest age, uh, was six months old at the time when Kim died. And you can imagine those 10 months were not easy for her. There was a lot of grieving, a lot of suffering, a lot of pain, a lot of struggle. But in the midst of that, Kim experienced life. In the last days of her life, she wrote some words that, that she wanted to be shared at her, her memorial service, her celebration of life service. And, and I want to just read some excerpts from that. And some of you have heard this, um, but here's, it gives you a glimpse of her life. Kim said, I trusted him to save me as a young child, but I didn't begin to truly live for him until college. Since then, it's been the best adventure of experiencing true life, and that is to know Jesus. And after writing some thoughts about how God had blessed her with her husband, Bob, and, and her children, she goes on. She says, in this struggle with the tumor, God's great love has met me. He's been there, and he's blessed, and he's been good. And then she quotes an author who says, we will learn to celebrate in the midst of our pains only when we believe those pains are tools of our transformation. This world is a training ground for eternity with God. His magnificent purpose is to make us holy as he is holy. He works within all the pains that make us cry and the joys that make our hearts sing to implant his character deep within. Later, Kim continues, she said, the strength to go through this is knowing him to be my loving father, my daddy, who promises to work all things out for my good because I love him and I'm called according to his purpose. It's been in knowing that he is an all-powerful and sovereign God that nothing happens without him allowing it. I've experienced his loving arms cradling me at the darkest times. The body of Christ's love and unceasing prayers have poured forth his love to me. And for that great testimony to you, I lovingly thank you. Finally, I urge you to keep praying and to believe God to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we ask or imagine. People out there are dying eternally with, a spirit, with spiritual brain tumors. May the church pray for them and reach them with the love of Christ. I'll be waiting to celebrate with you, and I'm ready to go and run with Jesus. She loved to run and uh, had not been able to do that for some time. Do you know, in the midst of her suffering, Kim experienced God's love. That's abundant life. In the midst of her suffering, she experienced a grateful heart. That's abundant life. In the midst of her suffering, she knew that God was transforming her and implanting his character within her. That's the abundant life. In the midst of her suffering, she experienced God as a loving daddy who was wrapping his arms around her, taking care of her. That's the abundant life. In the midst of her suffering, she did not turn inward, but she continued to care about others. That's the abundant life. Those 10 months were not easy for Kim, but she experienced life abundantly. She experienced a relationship with a God that sustained her and gave her a quality of life in the midst of her suffering that can only be described as God's life in her. That's abundant life. On October 26, 2000, Kim died, but she didn't really die. She just passed into life forever, that face-to-face, -face, unhindered fellowship with God. She experienced all of this, this different quality of life on this earth and what she's now experiencing because of Jesus Christ. He came that we might have life and have it abundantly. 
It's a free gift that is offered to all who will embrace it. May we do that with full and open hearts this Christmas season. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we are so thankful that you came into this world and you came to bring life. Father, may we we experience that life uh, for those that, that, that wrestle with wondering, is this real, is this true? God, would you convince them of Jesus, who he is, that he came into this world, that he, that he loves each one of us, and he wants to bring life to us. He wants to bring eternal life, which includes a whole different quality of life in the here and now as we live under your reign and rule. Father, for all of us, may we increasingly open up our lives to your work in us, that we would experience today and tomorrow, uh, in, the, in, the, in the days ahead of us, a qualitatively different life that we can experience through Christ. And then we have that hope of eternal life forever with you. Jesus, as we move through this Christmas season, may we worship you uh, in, a, in a worthy way for the one who brought us life. We are grateful. We give you thanks. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.